Coincidence and intention are two sides of the same tapestry, my lord. You may find one more agreeable to look at, but you cannot say one is true and the other is false. Welcome to AMI Audiobook Review, the weekly podcast where we chat all things audiobooks. I'm your host, Ramia Amuthan, and our technical producer for this program is Nisreen Abdel-Majid. We have started with a quote from Exhalation. This is a collection of nine short stories by Ted Chang. And it, if you were paying attention last month, I was in the middle of reading this collection for the Kelly and Remya Book Club. And I think that my best impression of Ted Chang's writing, because this was my first impression of his writing, is that the stories are so quotable. Almost every story has something that sat with me, a quote, a uh, significance of what the story is about put into one line. And I think that is absolutely skilled, by the way. I love when people can make precise statements that are clean and uh, that sit with you because they're either philosophical or introspective and it just works very nice. Now, Ted Chang does a lot of uh, wandering. You know, there are lots of Difficult questions, uh, interesting threads, technological atmospheres that you're curious about. A lot of these stories, I think, could use a second or even third read if you're interested and drawn in. Uh, But the painting of the imagery was what really got me. He does an incredible job kind of keeping you with what's going on. And no matter how philosophical things get, no matter how much he actually wanders, you do understand, or at least I understood, exactly where he was going. And I appreciated the exploration of his imagination. So shout out to Ted Chang over here and Exhalations, if you're interested in reading it, is available on the Center for Equitable Library Access. Speaking of which, let's go visit that CELA homepage by going to celalibrary.ca. The three new titles up on the featured category is The Story of Us by Catherine Hernandez, and this is an LGBTQ plus fiction. Cobalt Red by Sitar Garros. This is a social issues read. And the last one up there is In a Land Without Dogs, The Cats Learn to Bark. This is by Jonathan Garfinkel, and it's a historical fiction. Nisreen, coming over to you because you have some book news you want to share. Yeah, so let's chat about ebooks and Gen Z. Those who were born between 1997 and 2015 are referred to be members of this generation. And according to good e readers, although Gen Zers are ferocious readers, they claim to avoid ebooks due to eye strain, the need for a digital detox, and their love of libraries. Gen Z is without a doubt avid readers. Some data was shown by Nielsen Book Data that print books made up to 80% of purchases for UK book consumers between the ages of 13 and 24 between November 21st and November 22nd, making them the most widely used form of reading. And the data shows that during the same time period, ebooks accounted for 14% of purchases from this age age group. So I was shocked to hear this story because I can't imagine Gen Zers, the people who are 24 seven on their phones (laughs) and 
social media and all things technology, they would prefer print books rather than ebooks. Yeah. So the idea of that just boggles my mind. Okay, yeah. I mean, you and I are not Gen Zers, so we definitely are like raising eyebrows on this. I totally agree with you. I think it's quite interesting that physical books are making a serious comeback. Like not just a, a bit a year, but 80% of all purchases in the UK for mm-hmm. books were physical. Like take that in. Now, I laughed at my brother um for the last couple of years, he's been ordering books on Amazon, not Kindle, like ordering physical books and i i kept being thrown off i was like why are you doing this like you know you could just get a kindle right and he's like no i like having a book around now granted i don't know how many of these books he finished but just the fact that he would turn to a physical book and want to leave the screen was really interesting to me so we'll keep posted on how this trend goes Niz. thanks for bringing it mm-hmm. you got it uh stick around On today's episode, we're dissecting the transformation of literature to the big screen. Speaking of screens, Karen McKay and Teresa Power are joining us from CELA to do that. You're tuned into AMI Audiobook Review, the weekly podcast where we chat all things audiobooks with your host, Ramia Amudin. And it's time for our CELA talk. We have our month kickoff with Karen McKay and Teresa Power from the Center for Equitable Library Access. And it's perfect because this podcast is released on April 1st. So Teresa is the content and access librarian. Karen is the communications manager. And you're both here today to talk about something that we've been saying we need to bring up on the show uh, for the last couple months at least. The adaptation of literature to the big screen or to our TV screens. So I think it's fair that we kick the conversation off with a, a recent event, the Oscars, the Academy Awards. And Canadian filmmaker Sarah Pauly was awarded the Best Adapted Screenplay Oscar, and that was for 2023 for her movie Women Talking. So question to both of you. A, did you read the book? B, did you see the movie? Uh, Let's start there. Teresa? Yes and yes. Both, okay. Yes, I I read the book when it first came out, which was... Ooh, it was going on a few years ago, I think. Not too long ago, but also not this year. Um, and I did go see the movie uh, as well, yeah. Okay. Okay, we'll get your impressions on it in a sec, but just for comparison, Karen? So I did not read the book, but I did see the movie. Oh, and what's going to be interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and so that's, you know, we'll probably come to this question a little bit later on, but I one of the things we talk about is, do you see the movie first? Do you read the book first? Mm-hmm. What's the right order? And does seeing a movie and then reading the book ruin the book, ruin the movie? Like what the experience is. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested to hear what Teresa thought about the movie because I loved the movie. And Teresa, you loved the movie also? or I was just like, it was a life-changing experience watching that movie. Ooh. I just... I don't know if I was the only person sobbing throughout the entire oh. movie in that movie theater, but I just was, I was so profoundly affected by, I mean, I mean, not just the the acting, which was excellent, but just what the whole book is about and all the themes that it, it touches on and, you know, how you can take those themes and, you know, take it out of that community and put it, put them almost anywhere, really. Um, I was, yeah, I was profoundly affected by it for sure. 
And was it the same effect or an added effect maybe to having read the book? Well, the book, I mean, I, I absolutely love the book and, and I, I was very affected by the book as well, but there was really something about going to the movie theater and seeing it on screen. And I mean, there are some subtle changes in the movie uh, in comparison to the book as well, but it was, it really brought something that was already quite excellent, I, I think, um, and, and raised it to a, a whole different level for me. Mm. Now, this, I think, is a perfect moment to bring up this question of what makes, who and why and what makes that decision or the opportunity of adapting a book into mm. a movie slash TV show, like on our screens, right? And so, people complain. I think a lot of us have complained at one point or another if we do read a lot and uh, watch TV uh, and movies that some things are just not done well. But in this example, Teresa, you're like, you're into mm. both of it, the book and the movie, and yeah, you appreciate absolutely. what they did. Yeah, when I read the the book, I I certainly never would have thought that a Miriam Taves book would be adapted to a movie by any means. So I didn't read the book thinking that anything about an adaptation onto yeah. onto the screen for sure. But I mean, the fact for me that it was like Sarah Pauly who did it was just like Chef's kiss for, for me. Mm. But I think it'd be really interesting to know this uh, and this is something that I, I found out a, a few years ago actually is that quite a few books are optioned actually um by uh by big movie companies and for them it's it's actually quite cheap to do that so you can option a book and you throw a little bit of money at an author to option it and you have basically the rights to produce it or not over like a certain number of years, mm. like maybe three years or five years. So for, um, for a company like that, it's, it's probably small, like it, it's not, it doesn't amount to much to them. Right. Mm -hmm. And my sense is that they were just kind of doing this left and right for anything that looks like it might be, interesting to adapt to a television show or to adapt to become a movie now whether it actually gets to the next level of you know being worked on and, a, yeah. and scripting and directing is like a whole other thing so that option could expire after a certain amount of time but um it it gives uh companies an exclusive so you kind of want to get out there and you want to option as many as possible. Yeah. So you get an exclusive right to possibly take that book and, and make it into something. Yeah. And that's really interesting information, actually, because I've been starting to think in the last couple of years, you know, is every book becoming a movie or is every movie based on a book? Um, it seems quite casual, but there are some new movies in this same kind of leg of the conversation uh, based on books that are due to be released this year. So maybe we can get into some of these examples. Karen, what's one that you want to highlight? 
So All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doerr is one that's coming out. The release date hasn't been set yet. It's going to be a, a limited series. I think it's four parts on Netflix. And it's the, the projected date is later this year, like in sort of November, December. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this one is really interesting to me. If you know the book, there's sort of two parallel storylines, and eventually they come together partway through the book. And I, I when I thought first that this was going to be a movie versus a sort of a four-part four series, I was wondering how they were going to handle that because often that's a challenge for movies to, to run parallel um, sort of script lines and have them intersect in the right way without too much foreshadowing and all of that kind of thing. So um, this one is a highly popular book with our, with our readers and I read the book and I loved it. Um, but you know, I think it's one of those things that really needs to be in the right hands in order to be a successful mm. transformation from book to, to screen uh, so we'll we'll see. Um, the one interesting thing about this is that they have hired um, a young woman who's never acted before. She's never even auditioned before um, to be the main character, and she's legally blind. So they've got a real authenticity because this book is about a young blind woman in France. Um, they've got some authenticity that's really, um, I, I think, really refreshing to see in movies, making sure that, you know, that, that folks are properly represented mm-hmm. and that characters are properly um, fleshed out the way that they should be. So that's one of the ones that I think would be interesting. So I would say if you haven't read the book, read the book before the movie for this one. Um, you know, that's just a lot. He's unprotective. Yeah, <laughs> I am. I am. That's a good word. I am kind of protective. There's a couple yeah. I'm protective of. Yes. Um, yeah. Another one that's coming out is um, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, which I read when I was a kid, like, you know, 40 years ago. Um, and I, I don't really want to go see it. I have a little sister uh, who I might take to go see it because she won't read the book. But I, I think for those types of movies, they trap you in a time and space. Like it would you know, the book's not going to resonate the same way because yeah. I'm sure that they'll adapt it for current day. So there'll be cell phones and there'll be, you know, new sort of um, uh, perspectives on part of the book is about a religion and just deciding which religion this little girl wants to investigate. Mm. And so we have new perspectives on these sorts of things now. And so I don't know that it will resonate with me and I'm protective of that book. It's never been adapted to a movie before. And the book is it was published in the 1970s. So, you know, it's 50 ish years old. Um, So I don't know. We'll see about, about that one. I might go and just close my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Or not go see it at all. Really brace yourself for other people's reviews. Uh, Honestly. Yeah. I think that um, when there's Liberty taken to in the creative rights, as you pointed out, Teresa, to uh, kind of play around with the script, the characters, the representation, the how portrayal, of the book to the movie, sometimes you wonder, you know, why would they have taken this out? Or why didn't they stress this part? And, uh, you know, who decided that that was going to be the theme? You know, music, whatever, uh, graphics, anything. But, Teresa, is there a book that you were, either can think of that you were nervous about it becoming a movie, or when it became a movie or on TV, you were like, oh, no, uh, I don't know if I want to check this out. Same thing, protective. Yeah, absolutely. I think I've talked about this before, maybe in a previous podcast, but uh, the book where the crawdads sing, which came out again, like a number of years ago, and still like really sits with me today. I love a book that has a setting that is like a character. And, you know, that's that book to a T. And there has been an adaptation of it and I can stream it and I have yet to actually do that because there were some things about the 
you know, trailers are so misleading to begin with. Mm-hmm. Cause like, let me tell you, I've watched things where I'm like, I watched the trailer. This was a different movie. <laughs> like, what happened? And um, I could re- really see them in the trailer kind of stressing some aspects of the book that I didn't really think were actually like what the book was about. Uh, so I've just, yeah, like I really held off on it. I, I'm sure one day I'll, I'll give in and, and I'll, I'll watch it. Um, I've but yeah, watched I, it. I'm ex- oh, you watched it. Okay. I've watched well, it. Okay. I won't review it for you, but I will say okay. that I was in the same place with you as the book. I loved uh-huh. the book. It was with me for weeks and weeks mm-hmm. and weeks. And like, even when I was reading other books, I just couldn't get my headspace out of where the crawdads sing. It was so deep for me. And then um, when the movie came out, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. I yeah. don't know if I really want my shattering of uh, the impression I have on the book through the movie. But I have to ask you both, and I, I've never done this before, okay? I've never watched a movie, found out that it was a book or based on a book, and then went back and read the book. Um, this is the same for TV shows. I just never felt that the book could hit me the right way now that I've already seen it on screen. Um, there's something of it that feels a bit like backpedaling to me, you know, or I'm going to get, I've already ruined it for myself, if you will. So yeah. Karen, do you have, can you relate to this? I can. So, you know, it's it's often a matter of time, right? There's so much to read that why would you go back? But to be honest, I'm going to go back and read Women Talking because the mm. the movie was so incredibly powerful. And yeah, in the movie, Sarah Polly shifted the narrator from um, the only man that's in the movie of any substance uh, who is is documenting the conversations with the women. And she shifts it to a young woman telling the story. And so uh, and I can see why she did it. I think it's very powerful. I'd like to read from the original perspective, because I think that um, I think that there's some nuanced takeaways from that that I you know in comparing with the movie and the book I think that that would be a really interesting conversation and my daughter who went to see the movie with me and she and I both cried through it Teresa um mm. she wants to read the book now too because for that same reason you know how how are stories told differently um by men and by women and what does that mean mm. uh and so that's one but I have to say that's the I think the only one that I've ever thought yeah I'm going to read the book even though I've seen the movie first yeah okay and Teresa for you yeah, but I've done it in a really nerdy way. So <laughs> I there's this TV show that I absolutely love called Mindhunter. Mm-hmm. Me and too. It was, oh, you love? Okay. Uh, so sad that there's not going to be any more. I know. Uh, oh, gosh, crying here about it. But um, it's actually based on a true crime book. I had no uh, idea. from the mid 90s yeah I didn't actually know that either and it's kind of um I don't know it's like a, a thing with me is that if I watch something I I always google it to see if it's based on a book or something so I have gone back and I have read that book because I really enjoyed the tv series but then it's also um spurred me to read a lot of other books about the kind of beginnings of profiling as well with the FBI. Like I have really nerdy niche interests and this is kind of like one of them. And it was really actually started by this TV series. Hmm. 
And uh, it, did you feel like it added to your experience? Yeah, I thought it was really okay. good. I mean, if you're really into like nonfiction and, you know, you're really interested in that kind of um, period in the FBI, you know, that starting of profiling, which is really big. Um, yeah, I think it's it's uh, it's really interesting. That's really I don't know. To me, it feels very unique that you do that. I totally do find out if, uh, well, maybe not all the time, but find out whether the you know TV series or movie that I watched is uh, based on a book. Uh, but I never feel the inkling to go back and actually read the book. Now, Game of Thrones is one big thing, which kind of leads me to a bigger broad strokes question, which is, mm -hmm. do some genres do it better? Like fantasy and sci-fi, I think, mm -hmm. lends itself so well to adaptation um you know harry potter being another gigantic franchise that just absolutely skyrocketed with the adaptations now there's always debate on whether the books or the movies are better but no nonetheless the popularity speaks for itself right mm -hmm. and um i'm curious about that aspect of it anybody want to chime in yeah like dune for example yeah i i, I think that you're right I th i think that there's something for me, like reading fantasy, it's not necessarily a genre that I would personally um, gravitate towards a lot on my own, but it is something mm -hmm. that I read a lot of because I read a lot of YA books for work. And so there's a lot of fantasy YA books to read. And I often find that um, the different characters um, and the world building it can just like it can be a lot to kind of like wrap your head around yeah i've never read dune i probably will never be inclined to ever read dune um i hear that it's a pretty challenging kind of book to read <laughs> and and one that's you know they've attempted to make to adapt as well and i like i certainly haven't watched that movie but it looks pretty bananas um but the most recent adaptation like wow i think it really takes um i'm gonna go on a limb and say like takes a genius to take a book that sounds to be very complicated um and huge and kind of distill it in a way that you know just like the average person would probably really enjoy and kind of understand and yeah. distill like the themes of it in a way that people can really um like really comprehend and i i like really really love the movie it's one of my favorite movies of recent times for sure and i'm mm. really looking forward to the next ones but the book probably not something that i'll not that today. i'll try yeah yeah maybe not today <laughs> karen did you have anything specifically on dune uh, not on Dune specifically, but I think that those sorts of books um, sort of lend themselves to to a, a nice transition to the screen because the setting and the character, like just their, the physiology of the characters, um, they play such a huge role in presenting that, that, you know, that you can perhaps glide over some of the deeper themes and folks will still be satisfied by the movie because of the visual effects. Yeah. Um, whereas something like, you know, women's talking, there was, there was not a lot in terms of visual effects. The movie had to hang together solely based on relationships and themes and conversations. And so I think that that's why some of those are really well done. They do worry me a little bit. So the power by Naomi Alderman um, is coming out. Uh, like I think the first one dropped the end of March and then it rolls out in a nine or 10 
series on um, Prime. And it, it's a book, it's sort of that uh, dystopian sci-fi kind of idea that the, the idea behind the book, the plot is that teenage girls develop this ability to um, transmit electricity. So they like through touch, they can transmit electricity. And the the book itself won um, for Naomi Alderman, the Women's Prize for Fiction. And that's a really uh, serious literary award. Like right. some of the, the previous folks who've, who've won that award are Carol Shields, uh, Barbara Kingsolver, uh, Ann Patchett, like some really high, high, um, well-known names. And so I'm a little worried with this adaptation that it's going to turn it into like a teenage kind of... Mm. Uh, drama as opposed to really digging into those deep dystopian themes about power dynamics and you know things that the book really did well and so that's another one where I'm like no we'll kind of wait and see what what this looks like but again kind of protective about that exactly it draws on what you said earlier right where we're trying to adapt but maybe authenticity to the original is not the priority maybe it's um adapting to the times adapting to what's socially known right now you know what people are watching and that kind of thing is what really ticks people <laughs> when it comes to adaptation um especially if you're a you know a super fan of the book and and uh, well read Thank you so much, Karen, Teresa. We got to a lot today, and I feel like we could definitely do a part two. Appreciate your time, and we'll chat with you next month. All right. Take care. Thank you. Karen McKay, Teresa Power from the Center for Equitable Library Access. Check them out on our episodes that kick off the month. Uh, We're going to be back next week for an edition of Know Your Narrator with Sarah Hillis. I'm your host, Ramia Amuddin, with technical producer Nisreen Abdel-Majid. And until the next episode, happy audiobook listening. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.